Today, including in entertainment news, looks like Star Trek is going to have another spinoff on the CBS All Access Network called that pretty much follows Christopher Pike and uh, and uh, Spock. It's going to be called Star Trek: A New Frontier. We'll talk a little bit about that in sports. Looks like Tony Ferguson's manager is basically kind of questioning whether or not Tony Ferguson should continue on by saying he's quote he's never going to be the same. Pretty much saying that Tony Ferguson should retire. In video game news, we'll talk specs on the new Sony PlayStation 5 and go into what's going to happen, like what it has, all the goodies that it's going to come with. Plus, on today's show, I have an awesome guest. I have uh, host and author Mickey Burns on the show. Man, does he have a lot of awesome stories to tell, and he's going to tell them right here on the Xander Effect. But first, here is Marquise McClendon's Impressed right here on the Xander Effect. Raised on that bullshit, I'm stumping niggas. Get at my little dog, we all in, we jumping niggas. They ain't built like I'm built, it ain't no competition. I beat your ass and shake your hand, nigga, you got ambition. I came from that block, I ain't got shit to prove. I remember living like I ain't have shit to lose. Me and my dogs tied in like a pair of shoes. Watch how you move, nigga, we'll make the fucking news. Uh, plugging at mommy's with the posse. Ain't got no conscience, my nigga, I'm out my body. We'll fold you about that paper or gummy. Hit you early in the morning, that's that coffee. I seen a lot, but I ain't seen it all. I'm still waiting on that label to call. Can't wait to put all of my people on. Play with me wrong, you'll see what I went to prison for. Don't, don't get it twisted, nigga, it's all love. Give me mine, I give you yours, how's proud of? All that hating is the reason why we all stuck. And that bitch you fucking with done got you caught up. I guess you in the moment, huh? I guess that little pussy got you going, huh? What if she change up? What if she set you up and leave your shit open, huh? Now you know hoes gonna be hoes. I'm judging you by the bitches that you done chose. Get you a queen, you know the soul should be gold. Gotta let them bitches go. Gotta let them feelings go. Gotta let you know I'm at my best. You know I been up in this bitch, I ain't no guest. Don't get no sleep up in this bitch, it ain't no rest. Just keep it real if you want me to be impressed, nigga. Xander effect, so you better respect my dark tie. 
I'm walking down the country road with a guitar in my hand. I'm always thinking to myself, will I be a famous man? Well, I'm tired of scraping for a living, I don't like it anymore. When my paycheck grosses 48 and I take home 24. You and I, we work all day, turn our daily bread. When you come home, you watch TV and then you're off to bed. You toss and turn all night long and wake up on the floor. And your wife says, what's the matter, honey? I say, don't want to work no more. No, I don't want to work anymore. I don't like going to work at six and coming home at four. No, I don't want to work anymore. When my paycheck grosses 48 and I take home 24. And coming home at four No, I don't want to work anymore When my paycheck grosses 48 And I take home 24 That was Frank Mullen, Don't Want to Work, right here on The Xander Effect. In entertainment news, looks like the CBS Network is expanding on the 
fame that uh, Star Trek has been garnering as of late because they decided to do a new spinoff series for Star Trek Discovery, which basically, if you guys remember correctly, uh, when la- we last left off of the last season of Star Trek Discovery, both Spock and Captain Pike left the Discovery and pretty much left them to what what I would imagine would be their doom, their, their you know, untimely doom. And... Um, it kind of left us asking questions as to what happened next, but it looks like Star Trek, because the thing is Christopher Pike came in and they were in this big battle and uh, they were helping out the Discovery to make sure that they were okay. It was an amazing ending to an, to an epic uh, series. It was an epic series finale in my opinion. And uh, looks like they uh, decided to go ahead and do a spinoff uh, entitled Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which stars uh, Anson Mount as Christopher Pike, Spock, uh, uh, Ethan Peck as Spock. Uh, number one will be Rebecca Romaine. So all three of these big stars are going to be starring in the new Star Trek uh, spinoff, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which b- basically it's it's kind of a spinoff, and yet it's a little bit of a reboot of the, uh, of the season premiere of the original Star Trek, which aired back in the... Back Back in the 60s and if if any of you trekkie fans are out there remember correctly before captain kirk there was captain christopher pike and and he was the cap the commanding officer of uh of the of the enterprise now uh the net the studios decided to uh switch captains uh right before i guess the, the i guess the the focus group didn't like the actor that portrayed christopher pike or the character itself uh captain christopher pike so they decided to replace the, the actor and the the character with captain kirk played by william shatner back in the 60s so it looks like it's kind of this is in the sense a little bit of a reboot uh, to that original, to the original uh, first episode of Star Trek, the original Star Trek series, and at the same time, it also gives us a little bit of an like an in-depth look as to what happened the five years prior ca- to Captain Kirk taking command of the Enterprise. Obviously, we saw in the movie that they can, they kind of can, they did the transition a little more smoothly in the original uh, in in the Star Trek um, the movie that. Uh, that starred Chris Pine uh, as Captain Kirk. And so we saw a little bit of a different uh, scenario that happened there. So it's going to be a very interesting, it's going to be a very interesting um, thing to watch. And to be honest, I'm actually looking forward to it. It should be an amazing series. In other entertainment news, it has been announced that Danny Boyle will direct the new movie starring Michael B. Jordan called Methuselah. Now, this is a movie that basically is based off of the biblical character of Methuselah, who if many of you aren't uh, aren't religious or anything, um, it, it talks about uh, a person in history, in biblical history, that lived to be uh, 969 years old, the oldest person to ever live in the entire world and entire history. So it looks like they're going to be doing a movie uh, about uh, about uh, this this uh, about this biblical character, and uh, it looks like also Simon Bufoy, who worked uh, with with uh, Boyle. On Slumdog Millionaire and 127 Hours is also is being tapped to rewrite the script. 
So there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff going on here. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is also producing the film with Outlier Society, who is the head of production, uh, who is uh, with Outlier Society's head of production, Alana Mayo. So it's going to be a very interesting collaboration with all of these people. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to look. Because, I mean, they, they kind of introduced Methuselah a little bit in that the the uh, the movie Noah, which starred Russell Crowe and Emma Watson. So it should be interesting to see how they're gonna give this person, this this character, this biblical character, their own. Uh, their, their, his own movie and see exactly how they go ahead and write that one. It should be a very interesting and fascinating uh, uh, fascinating story to watch. In other entertainment news, it looks like uh, Percy Jackson is uh, in development for to have his own series on Disney+. Plus. The announcement came as uh, Rick Reardon, which is the author of the Percy Jackson books, went on Twitter alongside his wife, Becky, to give the announcement. He then followed it by uh, by a statement at the bottom which basically read quote, we can't say much more at this stage but we are very excited about the idea of a live action series of the highest quality following the storyline of the original Percy Jackson five book series starting with the lightning thief in season one rest assured that Becky and I will be involved in person in every aspect of the show. So it looks like it looks like Disney Plus continues to grow with these live action adaptations and there is becoming very popular i mean we all knew that when as soon as disney plus had their own series that this is going to be huge or their own uh, streaming site that this is going to be huge i mean disney has been acquiring so many production studios it obviously it acquired marvel it acquired lucas i mean it, it acquired so many that we were we were you know expecting them to deliver and boy have they started delivering like crazy looking forward to many more uh adaptations many more series that are to come that are still going to be in the works so we'll see what happens in the near future in other entertainment news i had the opportunity to speak to author and host mickey burns about his awesome interviews that he's had throughout his years and how he got started in the industry to begin with. But first, here is John Doe's ring right here on the Xander Effect. Hey, some people say we don't need nobody to lean on. I don't agree though. Mamas have papas and papas have mamas and people need people. Uh, opposites equal. A baby so little. There's a chapel somewhere. Where? On a hill in San Pedro. Overlooking the ocean. With the gazebo. For a male and a female. Hoping that he will. Propose to a face to face. Hand to hand. Body to body. And not through an email. Used to have problems with details. Now I know what you're wearing. Like I've been working for women's retail. We going for a ride. Why don't you fasten your seatbelt? We will. Never forget, I never regret the stuff that we said As we walked in the aisle, through the altar, straight out the church Into the caucus, it's an event, marriage was meant A man and a woman, I gotta stand up for something Head over heels, like I fell on the steps My head is still spinning from tumbling Man, I'm just rambling, huh? And they say, I don't know nothing, huh? Maybe I'm done when it comes to love Baby, I've been calling you Hoping that you let me through Maybe I can talk to you And possibly you say I do you just let it ring, 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 ring. If you would wear this ring, 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 ring. Hey, hey, 
don't you tell me I come when you call me There's something about you The place with my heart beating There's something about you Makes me feel like I'm melting No matter what you say Nothing can stop me Girl, you can help me Don't take a selfie without me Tell me about you Like there's nothing about me There's so much that you possess Let me do your accounting Huh, what would you say if I wish you away Pick you up from the job in the middle of the day In a helicopter With some tickets to a play Or an opera Right before we get there Got some lobster Or a plate full of pasta Then I hug you On a planet to surprise you After the embrace Stand up in the place Get right up in your face Then I stop you Get on one knee So everyone can see I'm in the posture Then get out my pocket Then I open a little box up Got that expression on your face like you just won an Oscar Couldn't imagine my life without you Baby, I've been calling you Hoping that you let me through Maybe I can talk to you And possibly you say I do But you just let it ring, 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 ring If you would wear this ring, 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 ring Say that you do And act like you're true I did that to you Girlfriend It's plagiarism Yeah To say that you care And act like you're there You stole my idea Girlfriend Lately I've been calling you Hoping that you let me Mickey Burns, and also the author from the Projects to Profiles. How you doing, Mickey? Xander, pleasure being on your show. It's an honor, and I appreciate it. And of course, like everyone else, we're still uh, dealing right, with with what I hope to be the latter side of this pandemic. Agreed. Uh, it's it's been a very difficult uh, time for a lot of people, both in the entertainment and just you know in general. It certainly has. Not only in entertainment, Broadway announced the other day they're not going to reopen until after Labor Day. Yep. And that's a lot of people out of work. That's very true. I mean, you also have sporting events, concerts, the works. It's just been a, it's just been a tragedy. You know, the, the 2020 has been a complete bust uh, for everybody in projects, movies, entertainment, the works. Like I said, the works. It's just been horrible. And I just want to mention briefly that even the tourism uh, industry in New York City employs 70,000 people and they're all out of work. Oh my God. That is just, that's tragic. That's tragic to hear that. And I, it, here's hoping that eventually we get out of this. And I mean, so far, I mean, I, you know, the best things that we can do as entertainers is try to go ahead and 
well, you're a journalist. I'm a journalist as well. I mean, you know, we're both we're both uh, people that inform. So, I mean, this is the best that we can do is just continue to inform and entertain the masses. Absolutely. Stay positive and stay safe. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you got started in the industry. From what I understand, you started uh, sometime in the 80s, actually, because you started in uh, in uh, Fox 5 News. That's what that's where I, I, I really learned, uh, you know, the industry. Uh, I, I actually was was <clears throat> at that time was I was in a band. I had my own band and I was teaching and coaching. Oh. Uh, and I always wanted to go into broadcasting right from college uh but that was bc that was before cable and opportunities were very limited mm -hmm. and kind of forced me going into teaching and coaching for a while but i started up at, at fox because some of the guys that i played golf with worked there the anchor man the, re the medical reporter and, and the camera guys and one day they say hey, mickey you want to sub up the channel five uh as a sound man for the news crew crews uh, because my, my partner's going on vacation, and I did. And I realized what I was missing all these years. That was like almost 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started up there as a sound man, and then I kind of worked my way up until I was able to get in front of the camera, thanks to Rupert Murdoch. I got to thank him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Because he, he took over Fox, uh, and the first thing he did not don't understand why he did it but he said okay first thing he wanted to do he realized how much money people were making in overtime so at fox he said the first thing i'm going to do is cut out all the overtime which he did and a lot of <laughs> can double you know with overtime they were making 120,000 without overtime they're lucky they're making 55 60,000 oh wow so we decided the way to make up the extra money was to moonlight so we had our own little production crew and we ended up doing a deal with Time Warner to produce a news magazine. And that's, and I became the host of that show. And that was my first time in front of the camera. I hosted and did feature stories. And it was also the seed for profiles. Mm -hmm. Because one of the segments that we would do in this half hour news magazine uh, were cutting edge stories of current events in New York City. But every half hour had a little celebrity profile, like a four-minute celebrity profile. So I would I would go into Manhattan, interview Tony Orlando or Engelbert Humperdinck, whomever was in Manhattan at that time, and I'd come back to the studio with this great half-hour interview that I had to, I would have to cut down to four or five minutes. Wow, and that I must said, have been that must have been a huge challenge for you too to go ahead and do something like that. It was not easy, and 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 it was heartbreaking because. I realized a lot of these celebrities love talking about themselves, uh, not only their current projects, but their entire life and career and how they got to where they were. And I went back to the studio and said, I think we should do a long form interview show and call it Profiles because these, inter these celebrities, they want to talk. They don't have an opportunity mm -hmm. to talk about themselves in detail. It's usually, you know, they're on Jimmy Fallon and he, how's your dog? Tell me about the new record. Have a nice week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's five minutes, seven tops. Uh, even last night I was watching Jimmy Kimmel and they had uh, uh, Bill Murray on and he, he might have stretched it out to a 10-minute segment. You know, so now we had a 30-minute segment on profiles 
and we could really cover a lot of ground with these celebrities and they love <laughs> and it's still you know, not enough i don't think no we could do an hour sometimes yeah we, we, you know we've done a, a 45 minutes an hour and then w- what we've done in the past is make it into a two episode mm-hmm. with tony orlando we did that we did it with Smokey robinson we did it with joan rivers and uh you have part one you have part two yeah, because it's, it's you know, coming from somebody that, that you know, like I said, it, that's one of the good things about podcasts is the fact of the matter that you, you have no limit. You know, you could go ahead and be speaking to somebody for a full hour or two and, you know, you could just keep on going. The issue there that I've always seen the, 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 is to, you know, continue to have the audience engaged because the audience can only listen to so much before they start losing interest after a while. That is so true. That is so true. And with us, we've been with the same network now for 20 years. And we have to deliver a show every week that's exactly 26 minutes and 48 seconds long. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that uh, I've learned that with, with my show is, is that basically whenever I see that I have uh, – a subject that I'm interviewing that goes over the time that I pretty much the show itself is, I tend to scale back a couple of the the topics that I usually talk about simply to give that person time a lot um, in order for them to get as much out of it because I don't like cutting people off and I especially don't like cutting a good story off. That's let them keep going. and, And I tell them, I'm like, you know what? Just keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't matter how long it is. Just keep doing what you're doing because it's an interesting story that you're telling. Right. In our case, in our case, a lot of times uh, we would interview the subject for 40 minutes. But we know going in that that's got to be cut down to 2648. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is really with the editor. <laughs> always. It's always with the editor. <laughs> And say, I can tell you, I've had the same editor for 20 years. And, and what we've done over the course of those two decades is I, I don't see that process. I'm not allowed in the editing room. Mm. If I was, we'd never get a show out. Because <laughs> you'd, be like, you'd be like, no, 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 keep that one. No, no, keep that one. No, no, keep that one. <laughs> you, you, know, you can't take that story out. <laughs> You know, we got a, you're on a time frame or time limit. You got to get these shows out, and uh, you know you just can't have that bickering back and forth. We just mm-hmm. don't have the time. So I trust the editor. You know, I've been she's been with me for 20 years, and I trust her judgment. But I'm not allowed in the editing room because I know that it would be a lot. There would be too much controversy. So I have to trust her. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know what uh, you know is ignorance is bliss in that point. So yeah. do what you gotta do. <laughs> Don't tell me what you're doing. <laughs> and sometimes when I see the show for the first time, it's on the air. Uh-huh. You know? And and I'm watching. Geez, I hope you know they didn't take out the part with Joan Rivers about the plastic surgery. You know, I'm watching it. You know, and I'm at well, the edge of my seat. I'm at the edge. I hope they didn't take that out. You know, but you only have so much time to work with. But the good thing is that a lot of editors, they, they, they're very intelligent when it comes to, okay, this is important, this isn't important. You know, they, they, they use their, like a lot of editors have great judgment in knowing what's going to be important, what's going to be uh, ideal, what people are going to want to listen to. So that's really good that a lot of editors like that. Yeah, I agree. 
And if I didn't trust her the way I do, I, she wouldn't be my editor for 20 years. <laughs> very, that's a very good point. <laughs> that, you know. So, Mickey, you went ahead and you also hosted, anchored, and starred in uh, programs such as Special Edition and Island View. Special Edition is a huge show, too. Well, that, that was when I was at Fox. Mm-hmm. And I, I, got, I, I have a, a small story to tell you. Because Feel just free. before I, in front of the camera, we were doing a special at Fox. And it, was, it, was, uh, it ended up winning the Emmy Award. And it was, uh, the title was Domestic Violence. Mm-hmm. And they said, Mickey, you're going to go with Richie, the camera guy, and you're going to go to Plainfield, New Jersey, and you're going to sit in the, the precinct there on a Saturday night until a domestic violence call comes in. <laughs> so I said to Richie, the camera guy, I said, we'll be sitting there all night probably. You know, <clears throat> you're lucky if you get a call. Mm-hmm. So we got to the police station around 7 o'clock on a Saturday night, and we were there like three minutes. And the phone rings at the, at the precinct, and, and the cop said, let's go. We got a call. Guy's got a knife, and, and he's threatening to kill his wife. Oh, my God. So, so we, we got our equipment, you know, and we're in the back seat of the, the squad car, and they go 70 miles an hour to the location. But they get there. The house looks like, like the Munster's house. You ever see it? Like oh, an my old God, yeah. <laughs> that ill-kept. And uh, so, anyway, and no lights on. And, and this woman comes running out. He's in the house, and he hit me, and he's got a knife, and he's going to kill me, you know? So the cops now draw their guns, and they say, okay, to me and Richie, you know, come behind us, stay behind us, stay close. And we go into the house. And this is hazard pay, Xander, you know? <laughs> we go into the house. It's pitch black. The house is 100 years old, and we're going up the second story, in a narrow stairway, he's nowhere to be found. We get to the second floor and the cop said, look, I see that it was February. He said, look at the window over there. It's like, it was open like a foot. And he said, it shouldn't be open in February. So maybe he jumped out, maybe he's in the backyard. Mm-hmm. So we went around to the back and they had the flashlights. You can just picture it in the hedges and there was tires and wood and, and leaves. It was- Just clutter uh, all over the place. Clutter all over the place. And they're looking in the clutter and in the bushes. And Richie and I are standing right in the middle of this yard in all of this. And I, I noticed up on, on the second story ledge, I thought I saw the tip of a sneaker. Mm-hmm. So I said to Richie, you know, shine your light over there and, and on that what I think is a sneaker. And he does. And then he pans to the left and he goes right to the guy's eyeballs. Oh, wow. Up against the ledge trying to hide. And I'm saying, Richie, that's the guy, you know. And with that, the cop turns around. He sees him and he says, there he is. And they come rushing towards us. And with that, the guy on the second story landing does his best Spider-Man, leaps off this, the second story ledge <laughs> on, onto the two cops. And they're rolling on the ground until they were able to, to, to get him under control and handcuff him. Oh, my God. We, in that same spot, it was like three feet away. We never moved. We were, we were like three feet from all of this, we went, uh, documenting the whole thing. Perfect sound, perfect video, right? They handcuff them. They throw them in a squad car. We go in there with them. They bring them to the precinct. They book them. They throw them into the cell. And when the cell closed, it was like, go to commercial. It was Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that footage of this? Because I'd love to see this. Well, let me tell you what, why I mentioned that. Because 
the, the, that was at the beginning of the special mm-hmm. for domestic violence. And I remember interviewing uh, the woman some weeks later, and she said to me, because she dropped her charges to the, you know, she said, because he's all I got. If he goes oh to jail, no support. Oh you know, my God, that's she, tragic. And then she'll get this, this will be repeat occurrence, you know? So the reason I mention it is it won an Emmy Award, and the people out where you are in LA uh, saw it, mm-hmm. and they said at that time, this goes back now 20, 30 years, whatever it was, and they said, you know, this would make a great show. And that was the seed for Fox to do cops when they saw that scene in that special. So that's how Cops was pretty much, uh, that's pretty much how Cops began then. Uh, that was the, that's when they got the idea to produce the series. Wow. When they, because they, it was so great. I mean, you, you couldn't, it was, I mean, you couldn't have acted that on NYPD Blow. Yeah, because yeah. I, because, because I always, I always, when you were telling the story, I would imagine Cops. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. And, and, and it was such an easy thing. You just sit in the back seat, wherever they go. You, you, you trail them and you document what's ever going on. And it's riveting. It can be very riveting. Yeah, I mean, that show was going on for a long time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. This, this, I'm going back now 30. This was uh, easy 25, 30 years ago. Wow. And they still show reruns of Cops, too. They show it on, uh, on yep. TNT, or not TNT, um, on Spike TV and stuff like that. They still show uh, those, those uh, episodes. Yeah, and I remember saying to Richie, as we were in the police car, I, I kept saying to Richard, can you believe what we just got? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's, that's insane though. Like, because that's, these are things that, I mean, as a journalist, these are things that you have to, you face all the time, all the you know, time. like, especially when you're out in the field, you, you risk yourself. I mean, this is, this is what a lot of people don't understand. They always are like, Oh, the media, this, the media, that, well, the media is trying to inform the masses. Granted, there are some yeah. ideas that have hidden agendas. I'm not going to lie. I mean, journalism has changed over the years a lot, and it's become more of a business than actual, in, in, you know, an informative, uh, you know, way for people to go ahead and, you know, or for for uh, for for journalists to inform the, the public. Right, um, right. And it's tragic because when I um when I first wanted to be a journalist, uh, I, I'll never forget it. When I first wanted to be the journalist was, was during the Gulf War. Uh, when I saw, uh, I forgot the journalist's name, but he was reporting live from, from Iraq or, um, not Iraq, um, uh, Kuwait. And suddenly they started, uh, bombarding or they started hearing the sirens and he was in the middle of a report when he said, uh, we have to go right now. We're hearing the, the air raid sirens. We have to go into shelter. We're being told right now that we need to go into shelter right now. And suddenly the feed cut off. And uh, nobody heard from him for about a week until a week later he came back. After that, that's where I kind of was like, I want to do that. I got the bug. I got the bug to be a journalist. And I mean, all through high school, since the ninth grade, I was in journalism. In college, I was in journalism. I got my degree in journalism. And, you know, that's how it went. And, and, and that's just, it's just something that I guess it just is inside you where you yep. want to go ahead and inform the masses of what's going on. Yeah. And of course I, you know, that story I just told is in my book. Nice. Step and I'm sure, 
and you know what? I'm sure, and, and I, I believe that no doubt you have many more stories in your book. I mean, because look at the history that you have. You have interviewed some of like some top profile celebrities and you've been in the middle of, you know, like some craziness. Yes, I have. Yeah, and you're in New York City, you know, which is, you, you, you never know what's going to happen next. And that's, and that's, the, that's the beautiful part. Because I mean, living, being born and raised here in Los Angeles, yeah, we have our, you know, our moments here and there, but it's not as crazy as it is in New York, I would imagine. I mean, I remember, I can remember vividly my first day at Fox. I, the, I, we were assigned. We got there. We were assigned. Go to City Hall. I think Mayor Koch was the mayor at that point. Go to May. He's having a press conference. Cover the press conference. We went to City Hall. Cover. It was exciting just to do that at City Hall. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they said they called us on on the radio and said, "Listen, break for lunch, and then go up to Yankee Stadium and get sound bites with the players on the field before the game." And I said, "I'm in heaven here. <laughs> this is unbelievable." And I'm talking to Derek Jeter and all these all these Yankee. I mean, it was unbelievable. That must have been insane. That must have been so great. Like the first day, the first day there, and you're already like thrown in the in in yes. the, into the pool. Yes, and, and, and the camera guy who kept saying to me, Mickey, you know, it's great now because it was summertime. He said, in February, it's not so great. <laughs> of course. Said, yeah, you're freezing, you're freezing your behind off over there. Yes, yes. Sometimes we stand outside looking uh, for a, you know, somebody to come walking out of the courthouse and you're standing outside in 20-degree in weather for Oof. two or three hours. So it's as glamorous as it sometimes appears. So I have to ask you, you know, you, you went, you know, from, from being a field reporter to uh, being a host. I mean, do you, did you miss being a field reporter? Like when you were, you know, stuck being a host and just, you know, now you were indoors and you were no longer out in the field anymore. No, I, 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 I never regretted being, being a host. My, the first uh, job I hosted was uh, Saturday for Time Warner. So it was Saturday night, uh, Staten Island Live, which was great. It was just like Larry King Live. Mm-hmm. But it was my show, you know. I had to do the research, I had to plan out the interviews, I booked the guests. Uh, I loved it from day one. So when I started with profiles with the NYC Media Network, uh, I, once again, you know, it's it's my production. Mm-hmm. You know, so how the interview goes, uh, the guests that I get, I make those decisions. When you're a field reporter, you go where you're told. You don't always like where you're going. Mm-hmm. Very true. But uh, as as uh, the host of my shows, I'm I'm in charge, and and it's I think a little bit more rewarding. I mean, and now with uh, with how technology has gone over the years, I mean, how do you find it more challenging now uh, than before being a host of of a show with all this social media and technology? Well, I find it a lot easier because I've been doing this so long, Xander. Believe it or not, when I first started out, when I had to do my research, there wasn't any computer. I mean, the computers were in their infancy. Mm-hmm. So I actually have to go to the library sometimes and pull out old newspaper articles and books and things like that Jeez. to get the research necessary. You know, there was no Google when I was first starting out. Wow. That was just starting. Wow. So, technology today. But the problem is, uh, I can't tell you how many times this happened. What you find on the internet is not always totally accurate. True. I agree with that. 
I can't tell you how many of my guests, when I said, oh, you know, this is your 15th album, you know, because that's what Wikipedia said. It's your 15th album. And they say, no, no, this is my 22nd album. <laughs> I've had that happen to me before, too. <laughs> it's not keeping up with Wikipedia. It's misinformation. So mm. what I've learned to do is double and triple my research, you know, to make sure, especially on sensitive issues. No, and, and you have a point there because um, going back to my college days, you know, professors would tell us, they would say, you know, in order for you to find the, the, the most accurate and most truthful information, never go to anything that has a .com at the end of it. Always go to something that has .gov, .org, or .edu because those are the ones that are going to be the most accurate and they can prove it. <laughs> That's right. And if, if it says, uh, uh, I just had Luba Mason on. Uh, she's a Broadway actress. And she's been married to Ruben Blades. He, he, you know, Ruben, the actor, he's yeah. on the... Yeah. So I, I said, you know, I, I, in doing my research, it's, I, you know, I, how long they've been married? Oh, here they are. They've been married 16 years. Okay, good. I, during the interview, I, I didn't double check it. I said, oh, you've been married, to, you know, to Ruben Blades. For, so how, how's it been, you know? And she said, no, it's 20 years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I said, well, I'm only four years off. You know, that's not bad, you know, but I'll, I'll catch up. Yeah, so, and you can you get know, away with stuff like that every once in a while, not all the time, though. But if you do it consistently, mm -hmm. you didn't do your research. And I, I have one other story about research, because that, that's what I, if I've had any success in the business, it's because I do so much research. If they have a book, I read it. If they have a record, I listen to it. Mm -hmm. I had Christopher Plummer. I remember he won... His Oscar, he's like 88 years old. He's still the oldest winning Oscar recipient mm -hmm. for Plummer. So the week before, my assistant gives me a packet and said, uh, Christopher, here's Christopher Plummer's research. There's a link to a radio interview on a post-it. Listen to that before you go any further. I said, thank you very much. I, I, I go to the link. It's a radio interview from Ohio. And the host starts out, Christopher Plummer, welcome to our show, WKRP in Cincinnati. Pleasure mm -hmm. having you on the show. Nice to be here, son. Then the host goes on and asks Christopher two or three more questions and, and senses, because the reason he's doing the show is he's released his autobiography, which uh -huh. is like 62 pages. Uh -huh. So he stops the interview and he says, excuse me, son, did you read my book? <laughs> and, and the host in his best Jackie Gleason, you know, hummada, hummada, hummada. <laughs> You know, I've been meaning to. Oh, no. I, <laughs> That's the kiss of death right there. <laughs> and with that, you hear click. And oh. the vent, he hung up. That was it. So I said, man, I bet. And this book was 462 pages. I said, I better start reading this book. So I said, what I did do was I started out the interview by saying, Christopher, uh, Mr. Plummer, I didn't call him Christopher. Mm -hmm. I said, would it be okay if I read a couple of passages from your book? And then he was all in at that point. You know, God bless you, my son, he said to me. You read my book. I know it wasn't easy, but I, I, I appreciate it. And I read some passages in the book. And from that point on in the interview, it was fabulous. See, and that's a valuable lesson about always being prepared when it comes to uh, interviewing your subjects. Every uh, single time. Because they, you're, you're not, not yeah. It's, they see it as a sign of disrespect. Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. And that's and that's the one thing that when it comes to being a host, those are good yep. lessons to be to teach. I hey, mean, sir. 
definitely really awesome. to teach to so go ahead and sit down and i mean at the very least what you can do is at least you know give the subject the opportunity to talk about their book if you haven't read it allow them to go ahead and and you know talk about their book so that way it could you could at least give them the you know the, the opportunity to showcase it for themselves are you a football fan oh yeah i'm a green bay packer fan through and through well, one of my early interviews, you're going to love this story. You have time for one more quick story? Oh, of course, please. Joe Montana. Oh, legend. Legend. And he was retired, and he was in New Jersey at a, at a memorabilia signing conference kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we got an interview with him in his hotel room the night before, but they said he won't be there till 545, but you get there 430 set up in, the, in his suite. So we went there, they let us in, we set, we set up the lights, the sound, everything was perfect. And they put, put out a beautiful spread for us with salads and turkey and ham, and it was wonderful. At 5.45, exactly, Joe Montana walks in with his publicist and agent. And the first thing I see out of the corner of my eye is his manager giving me the finger like, come over here, son, I want to talk to you. Uh -huh. I said, what did we do? Did we do, we haven't started the interview yet, you know? So I walk over, he brings me in a corner, he looks me straight in the eye, and he, and he said to me, Mickey, who ate Joe's dinner? <laughs> so the food that I thought they could trust, that was Joe's dinner. Oh, no. <laughs> I, haven't even, I, haven't even, I didn't even shake hands with Joe yet, oh, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. We thought it was, oh, oh, you know, that's Joe's dinner you ate, you know? <sighs> So now Joe sits down for the interview. I sit across from him. I'm excited because I'm a big football fan. There's Joe Montana. <laughs> I said, Joe, before we start the interview, I got to apologize for eating your dinner. Isn't that a, <laughs> isn't that a way to start off an interview? <laughs> and Joe starts laughing. He says, are you kidding me? I never eat that garbage. He, <laughs> he said, when this interview's over, I'm going to, to an Italian restaurant in Newark. He said, I'm not eating that. And I said, wow, thanks for letting me off the hook. <laughs> That's awesome, though, that he was nice enough to actually be like, be okay with that. Just be cool like that. Yes, he let me off the hook. And the moral to that story is never assume anything. Yep. That, well, I mean, remember the, remember the old saying, you know, when people assume you make an ass out of you and me. Oh, uh, I was like a kid who got his hand caught in a cookie jar. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, well, but I got to ask you, in, in, in talking about people that you have interviewed, have there been any interviews that have been very difficult, uh, like any any subjects that you have talked to that maybe, like, you would say, you pretty much said to yourself, God, what is their problem? <laughs> you know, that's a great question, Xander. I tell you, it, because, mo you know, I've, I've, we just completed this year our 500th episode. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I mention that is I there's only one or two there that I had that feeling that you just described, mm -hmm. and one with actor Ben Vereen. I don't know if you know him or not. Sounds familiar. He was a famous Broadway actor in Pippin, TV star back in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. so, so he's sitting across from me, and I asked him, the first question was just like a get to know, how, how have you been, how you doing kind of a question, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, he went off for about 15 minutes. I couldn't get the second question in. <laughs> That's difficult. I, I had to stop the interview, you know, because it is, you know, we edited it so I could stop it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, this is a, a, like a 30 minute interview. You just answered that first question for 15 minutes. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about your life and career. I still got to ask you. So if you could shorten your answers, I really appreciate it. Oh, Mickey, no problem. Oh, I didn't realize. I'm sorry. I asked him a second question and he goes off for another 10 minutes. Oh, no. So now I said, so, so at that point, what we did do was we just, the interview took about an hour to get all the information question, we, all the questions we wanted to ask in. Wow. And then we had a heck of a hard time trying to edit it down where it made sense uh, to 2648. So yeah, that, that, that's, but most of the time, uh, you know, I'm hard pressed to think of another where other than meatloaf. Mm-hmm. meatloaf that must was, have been an incredible interview. It was. And, but, but I asked him a question and as oh, I, I was introducing him kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, this is, you've had this many hits and blah, 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 a little background. He's started, let me stop you. I'll tell you what I did. He's like, oh, wow. <laughs> he says, I, yeah, I want, I have so many gold records. I want a, a you know, award for this play and that play. I'm also a Shakespearean actress, actor. And he went on, but the, he, he hates the press and, and he's very, very uh, aggressive to them. What saved us is in the pre-interview, which was just us back and forth prior to, to rolling a tape, we realized we both played college football and we knew we went to college at the same time, knew a lot of the same players uh, that he knew and I knew. And he gave me a little tiny bit of respect (laughs) enough that we had a great interview. He backed off. I know he wanted to keep coming with that aggressive, arrogant, uh, flavor, but he, he for, for, because we had that in common, he backed off and gave gave us the good interview. It's almost like it's almost like you have to when it comes to interviewing difficult people like that, you have to find a common ground in order for them to start opening up and feeling a little bit. I would have to yes. say safe around you. And absolutely, if if I we didn't have that football history background together, I he would have tried to abuse me that day. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like, I, I see when, whenever somebody starts acting like that, it's a defense mechanism. It's not so much that they're, they're, they're trying to be jerks on purpose. They're just very defensive because maybe they've gotten screwed over before in the past in interviews. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. But it worked out okay. Another one was Smokey Robinson. Oh, wow. And he seems like um, a really chill guy, too. Well, it, it was one of those days where he had a lot of interviews. We see had a new album coming out and he crammed a lot of interviews into the day and we had them late in the day. Mm-hmm. And the, the week before the publicist kept telling me, Mickey, you got 25 minutes, not a minute more. He's got a ton of things to do. So prior to the interview, because I really like him. I remember reading something where he's a golf fanatic as I am. I like, that's my hobby. Mm-hmm. And he was having trouble with his putter. So we all chipped in, the crew chipped in, and we bought him a new Odyssey putter. Mm-hmm. So prior to the interview, I said, Smokey, before we start the interview, uh, we, I read you're having trouble, trouble with your putting, so we went out and got you this putter. When I tell you how elated he was that we 
made that gesture. He said to me, Mickey, I've been in this business 50 years. I'm lucky if I get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Here you go. You buy me a beautiful putter. He was so touched by that, you know? It's the little and, things. And he perked up after that. You know, we see what he looked tired at the beginning. Once we got the, he, the, after the gesture, he perked up and he was all in. Now, I got to tell you at the end of the story, at the 24-minute mark, at the corner of my eye, my eye, I see his publicist giving me the roll finger, you know, like wrap it up. Like Let's wrap go. it up, uh-huh. But, but <laughs> fortunately, Smokey saw the same thing. <laughs> so Smokey, his name was Tony something or other, right? Mm-hmm. So Smokey, because he knew it was taped and going to be edited, he stopped the interview. He said, Mickey, hold on a second. He said, Tony, go sit. And he was really mad, like, you know? And he mm-hmm. said, Tony, go sit down. I'm talking to my brother Mickey, and I'll tell you when we're done. <laughs> He's the boss. <laughs> Tony went like a little mouse and sat in the back of the other studio. And we continued with the interview for another 30 minutes. We ended up doing like 50-minute interview. We did a two-parter. And both episodes won telly awards that year. Wow. Yeah, because you can't – those types of of interviews, you cannot edit and cut down. You need to have the whole thing on that. Uh, Yeah, because he's written over 400 songs. Yeah, he's a legend. In the music industry, he's one of the legends. I said, you've written songs for everyone. Who's your favorite person that you've written a song for? He said, he didn't hesitate. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. He said, when Marvin Gaye sang my songs, what he did to them, I used to say he marvinized them. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) He meant was he brought it to the next level. Uh Uh-huh. That's amazing. That's a, that's amazing. Well, I mean, we so you you talk about the people that have been the most difficult. Who's been the most your favorite interview? I mean, cuz this sounds like this is one of your favorites. Well, but I my, mean, which one's your favorite? Definitely because we bonded big time. I like Kenny G very much, mm-hmm. but I would say my favorite of all time is uh, Tony Orlando. Oh, interesting. And uh he's been on three times. <clears throat> and I be- I've become friends with him, really friends, you know? Mm-hmm. When I wrote my book, I called him up, picked up the phone. Mickey, how you doing? Good, Tony. I need a blurb for my book. Within 10 minutes, I had it in my computer. He got emailed it back in 10 minutes. That's awesome. He's, what a guy. So every time he comes on the show, he always said, before the show, so he says, Mickey, I got to give you something new that I've never told anybody before. I said, that's great. I, I love that, you know? Mm-hmm. So he could, last time he was on, he said, I got to tell you the Jackie Gleason story. <laughs> I said, Jackie Gleason was a legend. Mm-hmm. He, said, he was my first guest on my first show on CBS. And we were sitting in the audience as Dawn, his, his backup girls, were rehearsing on stage. And Jackie Gleason made a racial slur remark. Oh, no. And Tony couldn't get past it. And he called him on it. He turned around to Jackie and said, Jackie, you, you're out of line. You need to apologize to me and the girls. Jackie Gleason said, are you kidding me? Your snot knows nothing. I'm the biggest star in television. Go to hell. And he wow. walks out. And he walks out. <laughs> the CBS executives come running up to Tony. What did you do? This is your first show and you just chased the biggest star in television. What's wrong with you? We're not gonna, and this is the afternoon they were taping for that night. Uh huh. 
how are we going to get somebody to replace him at this late stage? So he says, I don't know, but I couldn't get past that. I'm sorry. I did what I did. Good for and him. I, I have to live with it. That takes that shows you a lot of character. Mm -hmm. Good for him. So Tony now goes to his dressing room, you know, maybe thinking, did I do the right thing? Whatever. So he's in there an hour or two. And there's a knock on the door. And he opens it up and it's Jackie Gleason. <laughs> so Jackie Gleason is holding his script for the skits they were doing on that first show in his hand. Mm -hmm. So Jackie Gleason, this is the way Tony told it on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, Jackie Gleason said to Tony, is this my script, son? He said, yes, it is, Mr. Gleason. So Jackie Gleason handed it to Tony and said, Tony, open it to the first page. Tony opens it, and in the writing it says, I apologize, Jackie Gleason. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. I mean, that was so really cool. You know, before. But because of our friendship, he's always trying to give me stuff that he never told anyone before or anyone knew before. As it turned out, uh, after that incident, they became the closest of friends, and Jackie Gleason called Tony before every episode uh, that he ever had on his show on CBS for years. Because Jackie uh, garnered uh, respect for the way Tony stood up to him. And he realized he was wrong. Yeah, because, I mean, at, at, like, it sounds more like uh, at the time, you know, he was infuriated. He let his, he, uh, Jackie Gleason allowed his arrogance to, you know, overpower his better judgment. And also, I believe he might have felt embarrassed that he was called on something that was embarrassing yeah and nobody else would call jackie gleason on anything exactly so he earned he definitely earned his respect that day that's amazing and sometimes with a lot of these celebrities you have to be that way you you can't you know uh you, they have like in a sense it's almost like you need to understand one thing that although you're famous you're also very replaceable it happens more often than not you know and and it's interesting because you remember Sally Kellerman? Yes. She was on, uh, she was in MASH. Uh-huh, yep. And she's in a ton of, she was on a Star Trek episode, one of the early ones. Uh, she was Rodney Dangerfield's love interest in Back to School. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh -huh. So I, I had her on, <laughs> and somehow, during the interview, Harrison Ford's name came up. I don't know how it came up, but I, she said to me, Oh, yeah, Harrison Ford used to work for me. And I said, <laughs> work for you how? He said, well, before he made it as an actor, he was moonlighting as a carpenter. Yeah, that's, that, that's and I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's, that's the story, is that that's how George Lucas discovered him, was that he was doing the sets on Star Wars. There you go. So, mm -hmm. so she said to me, as a matter of fact, he was building a daybed, a daybed hutch in my den. And one day he came in, and said to me, uh, Sally, I just got, I think I'm going to get this part in this, like, some Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Sally Kellowitz said to, uh, on, 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 on camera, she said, and I thought to myself, it's probably some lousy B movie. Oh, wow. And then, then she said, boy, was I wrong. And then she was very pensive, and she looked at me and she said, you know, it's a good thing he made it in the movies because he sucked as a carpenter. <laughs> He said, the day bed hutch that he built for me was a foot too short. 
that's amazing and 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 that's just the way it goes i mean in in the television and movie industry you could be yep. here today gone tomorrow i mean look at suzanne summers there you go she thought yep. she was she thought she was irreplaceable and they replaced her very quickly and next one yep, there's plenty of people waiting to take your spot Oh yeah, everybody's always hungry for the next spot. So, but so in in, in chatting, uh, going back to you a little bit about what's going on with the current crisis and everything, how has that affected you? Well, very se- severely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, number one, uh, we can't get into our studio first of all because they don't want people uh, congregating, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. so distancing. And number two, my other concern is how long is it going to be before celebrities that I've had on my show for twenty years? Uh, are going to feel comfortable coming into the studio and sitting down across from us. Yeah, true. So I I don't know. Uh, I know it's going to end sooner or later because celebrities have books they have to uh, promote. They have movies to promote and new new CDs to promote. So it's going to end sometime. But I thought at the beginning of this pandemic that maybe by June things might loosen up a bit. Now I'm thinking after Labor Day. Well, there are talks. I actually just saw an article today uh, that there are talks that uh, so far the first phase of the va- of the trials for the new vaccine is they're supposed to know by probably the end of fall, um, close to winter, they're supposed to find out whether or not the first phase was a success or not. And, and according to Dr. Fauci, uh, basically, if the first phase works, phase one works, then they're going to start uh mass producing the vaccine by the end of this year right right because we we miss doing what we, we've been doing this show for 20 years and and we were on cruise control uh with the, the you know the the team and the staff and everything else and we miss it terribly and you know we want to all stay safe and but we hope that we can get back doing it quickly and very soon are you able to adapt at all? Like, are you like like Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and Conan O'Brien? All of them have adapted and doing a lot of the shows from home. Have you been? Have you thought about doing something like that? Let me tell you, we at first we were considering it, you know, but we backed off because we don't like the sound, we don't like the lighting, mm-hmm. and it's not what we're used to, kind of thing. Uh, but. You know, now we're reconsidering because we thought we'd be back by June. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm doing a I'm doing a couple of Zoom interviews uh, next week. We'll, we'll see. How, but the other thing is too, and this is this was the general consensus of my team: is it better to do a Zoom interview where you might have bad sound and you might have bad lighting, or you know, re-air? some of the best of the 500 episodes that are pristine lighting, pristine sound in our studio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at first it was, I think we're better off running the reruns uh, that we know we love and are, that are pristine. Mm-hmm. But as I said, we didn't think it would last this long. So now we're going to try the zoom thing next week and start with it. I mean, at, and at the end of the day, and this is something that I've told a couple of people is that, you know, Everybody has to adjust, and they have to get used to the new normal. Yes. And just try to, like, understand that if, if it was up to them, if it was up to all of us, you know, presenters, hosts, everything, we'd be in a much better in, – in a professional studio. But yeah. at the, it, this, this, this current crisis, I believe, humanizes everybody. 
and and makes it seem that you know what we're all human we're all trying to adapt we're not yeah. you know we're not you know above anybody else we're not gods so we're all in the same boat like we're all in this together at the end yep. of the day and, and the last, yeah go ahead. i'm sorry what we also realized is that we probably will have access to almost anybody because everybody's home. Exactly. That's the other. That's the other beautiful part. I actually had a show, uh, an episode that I dedicated to the silver lining of the coronavirus, and it talks about so many similarities of what, we're, what I'm saying right now. Is the fact of the matter that we're more appreciative of the things that we would normally take for granted. And, you know, as simple as going on a hike that we took for granted. And now we're seeing that, you know, wow, I'm personally, I miss it. I love hiking and I miss it. And the same thing goes for like celebrities, you know, celebrities are so used to, you know, uh, fans and being around them. And some of them even don't, don't even like being around. fans. They don't like being bothered. Well, now you're definitely not bothered (laughs) because no one's going anywhere near you. That's right. So some handling better than others. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is that, in my opinion, it, you know, this current crisis has humanized all of us. And, yep. uh, you know, we've had to adapt to the circumstances. And a lot of us have adapted very well. I yes. mean, in my opinion, I, I would say, you know, far be it for me to tell you what to do with your show, Mickey. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know much about anything. <laughs> But I would say give it a shot. Give it a shot and see what happens. We're going to start next week. I know Bill Maher is going crazy. Oh, yeah. he, lives, he lives by himself and he's lonely and he's not doing his show the way he wants to. And uh, it, he's not doing well with it. Others are. Mm-hmm. And, so that's, are. and that's the thing. And that's the thing is that you have a fan base. They'll always be loyal to you no matter what. That's, that's the bottom that, line. That's a great point. And I'm going to tell my team that tonight. That's a great point. I, you know, I want to share one more. Do I, you have time for one of more? Of course. Quick? Of course. Go for it. Because what, you asked me well, who, one of my favorite guests, who they were. But early on, I think I, I interviewed, there was a, a singer called Dion DiMucci. Mm-hmm. He, he's before your time, but he had a band called Dion and the Belmonts. Mm-hmm. Songs he had were Run Around Sue, The Wanderer. They're played all the Run time. Run Around in- Sue. I've heard of and- that one. Uh, yeah, he uh, Abraham, Martin, and John. That was his, mm-hmm. you know. My parents used to love that music, so. Yeah, he, had, he was a prolific hit maker back in the 60s and 70s, right? Mm-hmm. So I was interviewing him at the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square on his 60th birthday. Comes in with a guitar. And I said, this is going to be great. Maybe he'll play some unplugged stuff for us, which he did. But he was also part of uh, the the day the music died tour back in like 1960, I believe, and that's the one where the plane crash killed Richie Valens, mm-hmm. Buddy Holly, and the Big Bopper. Mm-hmm. He was part of that tour, wow. and they were going throughout the Midwest in February on a, like a school bus, believe it or not, with like ten bands. And the heater broke on the school bus. And he's telling this story. He was all happy until I mentioned this experience. Then he came, became very pensive. Mm-hmm. So he's telling me that one day, Richie Valens, who had La Bamba, mm-hmm. uh, approached him and said, listen, we're all getting sick on this bus. So we're going to charter a 
a plane to go to the next venue mm. so we could get there and get a good night's rest in the hotel, warm hotel and all of that. And we have once, it's only, it's only room for four. And Is this the so coin toss? No. He said, there's only room for, we have one more seat. You want to join us? Uh-huh. So Dion said to Richie, how much? And Richie Valens, without hesitation, said $36 a piece. Dion thought for a second and said, I pass. Oh, Richie said, why would you pass? Why would you pass? We're all getting sick. We'll be there in a couple of hours. You can rest. He said, because $36 is the exact amount my mother pays for rent in the Bronx. Wow. She found out that I took this indulgence. She'd never forgive me. How about that? So he backed out of that flight because it was 30. And then Dion said, you know, if it was $34 or $40, I would have I joined them on that flight. But because they hit the number, my mother was paying for rent, I passed. Wow. How's that story? And do you think you're now, in retrospect, now he's in his 70s. He's still performing all over the place. But in retrospect, do you think his mother had anything to do with that? I honestly do. <laughs> I'm I'm a true believer in that. I, I you know I mean, sometimes it's it you know whether they're alive or whether they've left us. Yes. I mean, because I I have my mother that passed away in 2016. I still feel that you know her presence is always around and she's always still protecting me, regardless of where of wherever she was or is. Right, and so I think there was a higher force that played a part in that whole scenario. It wasn't his time. <laughs> Wasn't his time, and he's yeah. gone. Now he's gone. He's had a great life. Incredible, Mickey. You know your stories are amazing, and uh, trust me when I say I'd love I'd love to hear more. But for now, I gotta ask you this question. I always ask my guests: How can people stalk you on social media? Well, that's a good one. But we're, I'm, I have Facebook. I'm you know Mickey Burns on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, and I really just put a you know search term is is Mickey Burns. And if you're interested in getting my book, uh, which is from the projects to profiles, a memoir by Mickey Burns, it's available. Just go to uh, <clears throat> BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, uh, Walmart.com. It's everywhere. Uh, and I hope you you find some interest. It's inspiring. And I hope you you know I, the message of the book is no matter where you come from, whether your beginnings are humble or not. Uh, you know, with hard work, you can kind of achieve anything you, your heart desires. Awesome, Mickey. Thank you so much for the stories. Thank you so much for being on the Xander Effect. And Mickey, you know, I, I you know, I hope that you, you, you know, the, the show continues on for many, many more years. And uh, please, you know, be safe out there, you know, because it's crazy out there right now. Well, Xander, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Uh, I appreciate it. And same to you. Stay safe and continued success. Thank you so much. Hopefully I have you back on again very soon. Anytime. Love to do it. <laughs> uh, so thanks a lot, Mickey Burns, and we'll talk soon. You will.
<laughs> Thank you so much, Mickey Burns, for being on the Xander Effect. Appreciate your time, and I hope to have you on the show very soon. In sports, I had mentioned at the start of the show that uh, that it was Tony, Tony Ferguson's manager th- thinks that Tony should retire. It actually wasn't. I was mistaken. It was actually Justin Gagey's manager who, uh, who made a comment basically saying that after this last fight against uh, Justin Fe- uh, uh, Justin Gagey, that Tony Ferguson should hang up his gloves already uh, because due to the beating that he took uh, against Justin. Um, basically, Justin's manager, Ali Abdelaziz, said, quote, when you take an ass whooping that Tony Ferguson did, I think he's never going to be the same. If he had fought Khabib also, he would have never been the same. He had a great run, but I think when you get beat up like that, You'll never recover from this beating, and I think he should retire. What else he needs to accomplish? Or maybe he can have a senior citizen match with guys like McGregor. To fight a guy like Conor McGregor, you have to be coming off two losses. Maybe he and Tony can fight. So, (laughs) I mean, he's, you know, Ali is definitely throwing shade in Tony Ferguson's direction and in Conor McGregor's direction as well. Suffice it to say, there is definitely no love lost there, so who knows what Tony's going to have to say about that. I mean, Tony Ferguson has been fighting since 2008. He has accomplished a lot, um, but, you know, to say that it's time for him to retire, well, and you know, ultimately that's going to be Ferguson's decision. And it could, you know, obviously Ali is talking crap after the the loss that he that Tony Ferguson faced against Justin so we'll see what Tony has to say about this very soon in other sports news New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar have been issued warrants for their arrest for a uh, an alleged uh, armed robbery with a firearm in uh, Fort Lauderdale Florida apparently Baker who's 22 and Dunbar 27 were attending a cook out when uh, on Wednesday when a fight broke out and Baker apparently allegedly pulled out a gun uh, according to what the warrant said the two the two were also accompanied by two other men who began robbing other people and uh, at, at the party of thousands of dollars in cash watches and other valuables according to witnesses now the police said that the four men fled in three vehicles a Mercedes-Benz a Lamborghini and a BMW and a According to witnesses, it would seem that the cars were parked in a manner to be able to easily get into and get away. So this is leading police to believe that this robbery was planned. So the the, the warrants have been issued. Um, they are facing charges. They're facing multiple charges. So who knows what the future holds for these young men, which again begs the question, why? You two guys are... Are, are are in you know are are playing for two NFL teams? You're getting paid like a crap ton of money. Why in in all of this world would you go ahead and resort to armed robbery? It doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, th- this goes back to what happened to some of these players that you know are arrested for aggravated assault, or you know, I, I mean, you know, or or charged with murder. You know, I'm. It, this doesn't make any sense. Why does this happen to these players? I mean, these guys are, you know, are have they drove away in BMWs and Lamborghinis. That should tell you that they make a crap ton of money so that way they don't have to resort to robbery. This, this just doesn't make any sense. And you know what? 
we'll see what happens in the near future with these two young men. Who knows what's going to happen? Coming up next in video game news, I got the specs on P on Sony PlayStation 5. So we'll go ahead and chat a little bit about that. But first, here is Obek featuring Freedom's remix of Sweat right here on the Sander Effect. We go from Growing Pains here, and you're listening to this jerk, my good friend Xander Dames, on The Xander Effect. Tell you no, no Cause boys never felt so 
Xander Effect. In video game news, looks like the PS5 is starting to actually uh, showcase a little bit more of what it's got. Uh, it was uh, playing Unreal Game, Unreal Engine 5 uh, tech demo. And basically this demo wanted to showcase how real the, the gameplay is going to be on the new PS5. So, and, and trust me when I say the, the Sony PlayStation 5, man, the graphics are so clean. They're so crisp that it's definitely going to give the Xbox uh, Series X a run for its money when it is released. Now, so far, there is no release date. There is no price. Those are the two things that both next-gen consoles have yet to announce to gamers and the public. All we know is that both consoles are going to be ready for the holiday 2020 season. There has not been a delay as of yet reported due to the coronavirus, so it seems like things are still going to be going as scheduled for both consoles. Now, availability, however, that could be an issue that uh, that the PS5 has shared, and we still have no idea exactly where it's what the availability is going to be involving the PS5. What we do know, however, is that the PS5 is in fact going to be called the PS5. The logo is in fact going to be a PS5 and uh, it is backwards compatible. So those are awesome specs that are going on so far with that. Along with other specs is the fact of the matter that the, that the uh, memory interface is going to be 16 gigabytes. The memory bandwidth is going to be 448 gigabytes. Uh, internal storage is going to be a custom 825 gigabytes SSD. So, and the external storage, well, this is 
the cool part is that they're they're gonna give an opportunity for uh, for gamers to be able to buy external hard drives. So there's there's gonna be um, uh, an opportunity for it to to have an expandable storage with the PS5, and it doesn't even have to be Sony. So Sony left it open so that way gamers could go ahead and buy an external hard drive and attach it to the new PS5 in order to make more room for other games. Another really cool um, spec on this is the the controller. That basically it's um it's going to it's going to enhance the the what what the what the current uh, controller is about in, in regards to dual shock so basically uh, what Sony is saying is quote one of our goals with the next generation is to deepen the feeling of immersion when you play games and we had the opportunity with our new controller to reimagine how the sense of touch can add to the immersion to that end there are two key innovations with the PlayStation 5's new controller first we're adopting haptic feedback to replace the rumble quote rumble technology found in controllers since the fifth generation of consoles with haptic with haptics you truly feel a broader range of feedback so crashing into a wall in a race car feels much different than making a tackle on the football field which is you know in my opinion that's pretty cool it goes on to say you can even get a sense of uh, for a variety of textures when running through fields of grass or plodding through mud. The second innovation is something we call adaptive triggers, which have been incorporated into the trigger buttons L2 slash R2. Developers can program the resistance of the triggers so that you feel the tactile sensation of drawing a bow and arrow or accelerating an off-road vehicle through rocky terrain. It goes on to really go in depth as to how the controllers are going to feel, which is really cool because, I mean, it almost is going to make you feel like you're actually the character, like you're actually a football player or the character in the game or a race car driver, which is really awesome. Um, another feature that it has, it will support the PS5 PSVR, virtual reality, which basically means you could also adapt virtual reality to the new console. I mean, it's also going to be energy efficient um, and it has just so many other awesome features to it. I'm looking forward to it. I- I'm still curious as to see how much it's going to cost though as as so many other gamers are also wondering exactly how much the cost is and when the exact date of the release of both consoles are are going to be so we're looking forward to that we'll just have to wait and find out that's it for the xander effect thank you so much for tuning in that's the news in case you haven't heard it um make sure that you continue to be safe out there We're still in this crisis. We're still in this together. Make sure you continue to practice safety precautions. Wear your masks when going out to buy essential items. Wear your gloves, your goggles if you got them. And remember, music always, always (laughs) heals all. We'll see you next time. Yeah, you did. They ain't believe it, though. (laughs) One life. Like it's kickball, power couple. She dripping in that Del Cigabana. They wanna touch her. Everybody know that's do girl. What you gonna do by me and her take on the world? Now that's the truth. Hey everyone, the Xander Effect is powered by 5050 Global Music Inc., Sony Music, The Orchard, and BMG Bertelsmann Group. In association with Art 19 Media.